This is Sports Business Radio. You know, I didn't alter the ball in any way. Presented by Pastano. Fantasy itself, it has clearly helped create interest all the way through the season. Counting down the top 10 sports business stories of 2015. Jordan Spieth has won the U.S. Open. American Foe has won the Triple Crown! Now, from our studio in Portland, Oregon, here's your host, Brian Berger, with Sports Business Radio. Well, thanks for joining us. This is always one of my favorite shows of the year. A look back at the year that was, in this case, 2015. We're coming to you from our studios in Portland, Oregon, and I'm joined in studio by our executive producer, Brian Griggs. Griggs, how are you? Merry Christmas, happy holidays, and all that. Yes, happy Festivus. I can't believe we're here again. I know. It's crazy how fast a year goes by. It does go by quickly. (laughs) And, you know, I think there were some big stories this year, but compared to the last few years, I think the stories on the list this year weren't as earth-shattering, which, you know, is probably better for the industry, but we still found 10 pretty monumental stories to choose from for 2015. I think 2016 is going to be even more earth-shattering and busy than what we had this year, but uh, we'll go through our list of top 10 sports business stories. We uh, invited our listeners at the hashtag SBR mailbag to you know submit their offerings as well for this list, so we took some of those as well, but uh, you know, it was our crack staff here at Sports yes. Business Radio that that mainly came up with this list. First, we want to thank Pistano for powering our show and for our episodes of Sports Business Radio this year. Uh, look back on our last show, which is our road show at USC with Jeannie Bus. Boy, Griggs. So, in the history of our show, we've been on the air since 2004. Biggest interview that I've ever done as far as response, downloads, uh, you know, how it went viral on social media was when David Stern retired a few years ago, the commissioner of the NBA. He did his last full-length sit-down with me on this show. Well, Jeannie Buss is now the second most popular interview, and she may become one before it's all said and done. Tons of downloads and listens to our Sports Business Radio Roadshow interview at USC with Jeannie Bust that was brought to us by Boingo. And uh, it's cool to see the response. And, you know, right. I listened to the interview afterwards. It's one thing to do the interview. It's another thing to go back and listen to it. And right. she was fascinating. I really liked some of the things that she had to say, whether it was about the Lakers, Kobe Bryant, Jim Buss, mm-hmm. NFL to LA, women in sports. We covered so much ground in 90 minutes. It was fantastic. Yeah, and she was just such a, a sweetheart of a person, too. I mean, it was just, you can't not like her. She was just uh, enjoyable, enjoyable to be around. The students liked her. She hung out for, like we talked about last time, last show, hung out for, you know, 30 minutes, 40 minutes afterwards and, and talked to the kids some more. So uh, just a great event. Um, cool venue down there, too. Man, USC hasn't dialed in in the uh, football department. It was great. Great place. At the end of our show today, we are going to talk to an executive from Boingo Wireless about some of the things that they're doing in the facility space. Some really interesting stuff. I mean, I think all of us can agree that when we walk into a a sports venue now, whether it's a stadium for a football game or an arena for a basketball game or maybe a ballpark for a baseball game, one of the most important things is, can I get access to the internet and... Can I go wireless? Can I tweet my pictures mm-hmm. and my 
post Instagram photos and stuff like that. And Boingo Wireless is as good as it gets at outfitting venues for those types of uh, opportunities for fans. So we'll talk about that a little bit later in our show today. Let's start with our list of top 10 sports business stories of 2015. Number 10, Griggs, some huge, and I mean huge, shoe deals went down in 2015. I think it was led by, at the end of the year, we saw that LeBron James signed a lifetime contract with Nike. Griggs, you don't see lifetime contracts, A, because they're expensive, but B, because there's always the risk that someone's going to get in trouble, a la Tiger Woods or Michael Vick or Kobe Bryant. And if you have your brand attached to that person, what does it do to infect your brand? So, um, you know, I'm not totally surprised by it, though, because Nike worked long and hard to chase down LeBron James. Some people may not know this, but I used to do some consulting for Nike. I helped with their Nike All-America basketball camps. I kind of had a front row seat to the recruitment of LeBron James by Adidas, Reebok, Nike. Lynn Merritt, who is in charge of basketball sports marketing at Nike, did a fantastic job really coming in at the end. Uh, He had not been on the path as long as Adidas and Reebok had with LeBron when he was in high school and signed LeBron. And it's been a great partnership. But Griggs, check this out. As part of the lifetime deal, reports say that it's worth significantly more than $500 million and $30 million more a year. And the reason we bring up $30 million a year is earlier in the year, Kevin Durant from the Oklahoma City Thunder had signed a reported 10-year, $300 million deal. So he kind of set the mark for annual payment from a shoe company, $30 million. Well, LeBron's lifetime deal reportedly eclipses that. So the thing that's mind-boggling about this, and we'll get to a few more of these deals in a minute, is this is so much more money than they make on the court. Mm -hmm. They're making more money off the court from just their shoe deal than they are from their actual NBA playing contract. Ludicrous. Yeah, it's crazy. It's like you and me having a job and then some other job that doesn't even have to do with our job <laughs> and make more money at right. it. Right. I mean, it just, uh, it's crazy. But And I was thinking about when you were talking about that, it's crazy how even at young ages, I have a nine-year-old boy and he wants every new shoe that comes out. Right. LeBron's. In fact, that's under the tree. Yeah. Don't tell anybody. Okay. But it's like, that's his gift. I hope he's not listening. <laughs> he's not listening. I'll, I'll make sure it's guarded. <laughs> but it's just crazy how at young age, these kids are just like, and like, what do the LeBron's cost? Yeah, like they're $200? 100, yeah, 150 I think. Yeah. And we got it at the, you know, a discount at the Nike uh, employee store, thank yeah. goodness. Yeah. But uh, if not, you know, you're paying 300 It's for, crazy. Yeah. I mean, it, and it's just young kids that are already eating them up. It's insane. Right. And I mean, the thing that's really amazing. If you want to go back, some people compared this LeBron deal to the Michael Jordan deal. And they said, is he going to break off and have his own brand like the Jordan brand? But I guess both sides, Nike and LeBron, decide, or Nike and LeBron decided that that wasn't the way to go, that he should still be under the umbrella of Nike. But bottom line is, LeBron's going to make a lot of money for a long time from Nike. Kevin Durant is making a lot of money, but not as much as LeBron. Some other shoe news this year. So James Harden switched from Nike, and he went to Adidas, and his deal, $200 million for 13 years. That's a lot of money for Adidas to be paying out, but it's not as much money, reportedly, as Adidas paid out to woo Aaron Rodgers 
MVP, mm-hmm. one of the faces of the NFL, quarterback of the Green Bay Packers from Nike to Adidas. So Adidas goes out and gets hardened to be really the face of their basketball brand after Derrick Rose has fallen on hard times. Aaron Rodgers, the face of their football brand after RG3 mm-hmm. fell on hard times. And then you've got Under Armour. And Under Armour, in the last two years, may have done the best job of anyone in taking a brand that really was known for gear, not shoes, and transforming it into a powerhouse when it comes to shoes. So they bet low on Steph Curry. He only goes out and wins MVP for them (laughs) and brings him tons of visibility. They tore up his original deal, did a new deal with him this year, and that runs through 2024. Jordan Spieth, who we'll get to in a little bit, but he signed a deal after his original deal this year, and that's in the ballpark of 10 years, $200 million. So very similar money, according to reports from Rory McIlroy, got from Nike. Mm -hmm. To put this in perspective, Griggs, I did a little bit of research. Jack Nicklaus is the all-time greatest golfer when it comes to major championships and wins. So I just told you that Spieth and McElroy, forget about what they've won on the course. Off the course, they're making $200 million just from their shoe deal. How much money in prize money did Jack Nicklaus earn Mm. during the course of his three-decade career where he won every tournament there was? How much money did he make? I don't even know. I know it was less than that. $5.7 million. (laughs) That's how much Jack Nicklaus, the greatest Uh, golfer of all time, made in on-course earnings. Now, he's made a lot of money off the course with his, uh, you know, Golden Bear line and his golf course architectural firm. But on the course, he made $5.7 million. And you've got guys making $200 million on a shoe deal in Jordan Spieth and Roy McIlroy. So that's our, our 10th biggest story of the year, some crazy money being paid out by the shoe companies to athletes for endorsing their product. Our ninth biggest story of 2015, it goes back to the guy we were just talking about, Jordan Spieth. Jordan Spieth has won the U.S. Open. Is he the new face of golf? Many think he is. He wins three of four majors. He misses out by inches on a playoff at the British Open. That was a great finish to that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Zach Johnson wound up winning that in a playoff. But Jordan Spieth, age 22, Griggs, guess how much money he won in prize money this year? A lot. (laughs) If you count the $10 million bonus he got for winning Mm -hmm. the FedEx Cup, which is the playoff at the end of the season, Jordan Spieth took home $22 million. So, a million dollars for every year he's been alive. Yeah, there you go. And, I mean, that's crazy. Again, I just told you, Jack Nicholas won yeah. $5.7 million in the course of his career. And Jordan Spieth won $22 million, which is a record for a PGA player in the course of one season. So, phenomenal yeah. year. You know, Tiger has had some amazing years, but no one's ever won $22 million on tour 
in a single year. That's crazy. And I think Spieth has really helped the game, too. I think he's he's getting audiences back after the Tiger downfall, where the PGA lost a lot of viewers. I think Spieth is fun to watch. I think people uh, can relate with him. He seems like he's down to earth and normal and just loves his family, you know, helps his, uh, is it his sister or brother that's uh, uh, sick? Sister. Sister, yeah. I mean, you see that. Uh, just seems like a class act and fun to watch. And I mean, there was the tournaments were great this year. I mean, yeah. every one of them was just phenomenal to watch, especially the majors. And with him, you feel like if he's on top, he's going to hold the lead. Like right. you used to feel like that with Tiger. And yep. you also feel like if he's a few shots behind, he's going to keep grinding. Right. Like he's going to chase you down, which he did a few times. Sure. And he's going to end up winning the tournament. So. Uh, amazing poise for a 22-year-old. The other athlete, which is also part of this ninth top sports business story of 2015, is Serena Williams. Mm -hmm. So Serena Williams was recently named Sports Person of the Year by Sports Illustrated. Her year also included three Grand Slam wins, just like Jordan Spieth. She didn't win the U.S. Open. So she won the first three. She couldn't get it done at the end. But Griggs, she had a record of 53-3 and three in 2015. Not a bad year <laughs> no. for Serena Williams. And, you know, most people would say she's the most dominant female athlete on sure. the planet. Maybe that was Ronda Rousey before she lost to Holly Holm. But Serena's been doing it a long time, and this may have been her finest year ever. You know what I love about her, too, is she is such a competitor. I mean, she goes out there and balls. Yeah. It doesn't matter what tournament. And she is just ripping it up out there. And that's fun to watch because she just she goes out there and destroys them. I mean, she just is ready to, to play every single match. Yeah. She's very focused. Yep. She's very intense. Yep. And every time she steps on the court, you think she's going to win. Sure. And it's kind of become that with yeah. Jordan Spieth. When he gets on the course, just like it used to be with Tiger, you go, all right, everyone's trying to beat Jordan. Yep. With Serena, everyone's trying to beat Serena. And you're surprised if they don't win. Mm -hmm. Our eighth biggest sports business story of 2015, it was a fight that people waited for for years, Gregs. And what a disappointment it was as far as the fight but not as far as the gate. The biggest gate of all time in the history of boxing generated more than $500 million in total revenue, including $4.4 million U.S. pay-per-view buys, upward of $400 million in domestic pay-per-view revenue, and Showtime and HBO made a deal to split that fight. So that was one of the rare times where the fight was split. But Mayweather beat Pacquiao, it, w it was like they were ballroom dancing <laughs> for 15 rounds, or however long it was. I think it was 15 rounds. Yeah. And it just it was a boring fight. It was one of those fights that this fight should have taken place five years ago, and it probably would have been a good fight. Uh, Mayweather was a defensive fighter. Pacquiao, we learned later, had an injury, and yeah. he said he wasn't at the top of his game. Now Mayweather has said he's fought his last fight. He had one more fight. Pacquiao supposedly is fighting his last fight coming up here in early 2016. So really the two biggest cash cows, money makers in boxing will be stepping aside and who will emerge of anyone in boxing coming up. But $500 million, that is a fight total that we may not see for a long, long time because you put two mega brands in the ring and again, there had been years of anticipation for this fight and that's what it added up to was $500 million. I think the the fun part of this fight was the buildup. I mean, like you said, it was years in the making. Right. And 
I coverage was crazy. I mean, countdowns and all this stuff to this big fight coming, and then the fight was, like oh. you said, dancing with the stars, basically, on the, on the boxing ring. Well, and the other story with the fight was that a lot of people didn't pay for the fight, and they watched it on Periscope. <laughs> so people Periscope <laughs> the fight, <laughs> and... You know, you're like, well, I'm, I'm, you know, bootleg watching it basically, <laughs> and that became a side story after yeah. the fact. There were some threatened lawsuits, and you know, I'm not sure if anything ever became of those. But um, I think one of the things we saw with both UFC and with boxing this year is you better think long and hard before you put your money down because either a the fight could suck like Pacquiao Mayweather did. <laughs> right. Or, if you're watching a Ronda Rousey fight, or any UFC fight, that fight may be over in less than a minute. Yep. And you just plunk down $50, $60, dollars for a minute's worth of action that you can watch on a Vine <laughs> on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, right. And, and you know, you're like, what? Why, why did I? I was so excited. I, I thought, and for the record, I didn't plunk down any money on any of these. Because I just, you know, I think people were interested in Mayweather Pacquiao because it had been discussed for so long. Yeah. But... These other fights, you know, you know they're going to end quickly. Yeah. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see the future of boxing, the future of UFC. If I had to bet on one of the two, I'm taking UFC because they have more fights. Yep. Uh, they basically produce more content and more fights, and, mm-hmm. and I think they hold people's interest. It seems like with boxing, you know, once every five, yeah. six years, you may get a good fight that people want to see, but other than that. Uh, you're really not getting anyone that's compelling, and you know I don't know who's coming up. I not I'm a boxing pro, but when I was growing up, you know I knew who Muhammad Ali was, and mm-hmm. I watched Sugar Ray Leonard and Roberto Duran and Thomas Hearns and Marvin Hagler, and you know those guys aren't around now. And I don't know who's coming up in that ilk that would get anywhere near a 500 million dollar total revenue payday like we saw with Mayweather Pacquiao. All right, when we come back. We're going to look at stories seven, six, five, and four. Then we'll bring you our top three sports business stories of the year 2015. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Christmas tree at the Christmas party hop. Hi, it's Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio, but also the founder and CEO of the exclusive Sports PR Summit. The Sports PR Summit is an annual event bringing together senior PR executives from the sports world, national media members, and pro athletes for a full day of panel discussion, featured conversations, and face-to-face networking in New York City. Past speakers have included ESPN reporter Jeremy Schapp, Sports Illustrated executive editor John Wartime, former NFL veterans Tiki Barber and Derek Mason, NBA senior VP of PR Mike Bass, and other top PR minds from across the sports world. The 2016 Sports PR Summit will take place on Tuesday, May 17th at the Players' Tribune, which is a new digital media platform created and curated by some of the world's top athletes and founded by former Yankees great Derek Jeter. The Sports PR Summit is an invite-only event limited to 125 attendees. If you're a senior sports PR executive and you'd like to be invited to the 2016 Sports PR Summit at the Players' Tribune in New York City, Get in touch with us via the Sports PR Summit website at sportsprsummit.com. That's sportsprsummit.com. Follow the Sports PR Summit on Twitter and Instagram at Sports PR Summit and on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Sports PR Summit. I hope to see you at the 2016 Sports PR Summit on May 17th at the Players' Tribune in New York City. 
back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. We are back and we are counting down our top 10 sports business stories of the year 2015. We are now at number seven and it was a big one. Women's World Cup. Griggs, anytime you have a World Cup year, whether it's men's or women's, it's a big deal. And this one was played in BC Place Stadium in Vancouver, the finals, and it was Team USA versus Japan. And you may remember in 2011, the United States lost to Japan in a penalty shootout. A lot of, you know, sadness and disappointment around that event. So they had been waiting at a shot at Japan again in the World Cup, and boy, they came out smoking in that final game. They built a 4 nothing lead. They wound up winning 5-2. But I think one of the things that everyone remembers from that game is Carly Lloyd. I mean, she was incredible. Had three goals. She scored two quick goals. She had that one that was basically from midfield over yeah. the top of the goalie who had moved up. And just an amazing performance. You always hope that the team that you're coaching or rooting for has their best performance mm-hmm. in the championship, and that was Team USA in the Women's World Cup Final. They saved their best performance for that game, and it was a feat to watch. Well, World Cup soccer, like you were saying, is just awesome. Men or women, it's always exciting because the, the nations get so much behind their team. The crowds are intense. The uh, you know the coverage is, is uh, intense and immense, and it's fun to watch. And like you said, it was, it was one of those as a fan watching the, them come out and score those quick goals. You're like, is this really happening? I mean, because soccer is usually you know one one battle all the way to the end, and it was you know essentially a blowout in soccer terms, I guess. Well, the thing that's cool for me, you know, if you listen to the show, you know that I have a ten year old daughter. She plays soccer, and you know whether it was the women's World Cup players of yesteryear, Mia Hamm and uh, Brandy Chastain, people like that. A lot of the females on this Women's World Cup team, whether it's Alex Morgan or Abby Wambach or Megan Rapinoe or Carly Lloyd, a lot of little girls look up to them as role models. And they had a really big parade in New York City after this, and they were honored at the White House by President Obama. And, you know, I would say that they are probably the pinnacle of a women's team in U.S. sports. And... It was fantastic to watch. My daughter got very excited about it. And I think there's a lot of girls that are inspired by this team that will play soccer or they'll play a sport just because they said, hey, I watched that performance by the Women's World Cup team and and I like how they did things, so I'm going to play sports too. And that's a great message to send to uh, the girls and boys, but really girls in America. So that was cool. And, you know, a lot of money made in the process. And uh, that's our seventh biggest story, our sixth biggest story of 2015. Griggs, the first college football playoff was played. A lot of people wondered how this would work. Should you just have two teams like you had before? Should you have eight teams? How should it look? But I think by most people's opinion, the first college football playoff was a success. You had Oregon, Florida State, Alabama, and Ohio State. And I think a lot of people thought that Alabama would play Oregon in the championship game, but it didn't work out that way. Oregon trounced Florida State, but Ohio State and Urban Meyer beat Alabama. And then Alabama was the fourth-ranked team of the four in the playoff. They end up beating Oregon in the championship game, and they go off and win it. So it kind of showed, like, hey, look, 
you may think you have the top two teams here, but if you let a team in here who's fourth of the four that you let into this playoff, they might surprise you and, and go ahead and win it. This year, for 2016, we've got Clemson, Alabama's back, Oklahoma, and Michigan State. An interesting field. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's as uh, mega as what we had in 2015, and I don't know if we'll have quite as many viewers, but it's going to be interesting to watch. And, you know, the ratings are good on ESPN, and this year is going to be different, Griggs. It's on New Year's Eve mm-hmm. is the semifinal game. So whereas last year you didn't have games on New Year's Eve, I wonder if because people are out partying and celebrating the New Year, will the viewership be as good or will it be even better because people say, you know what, I'm going to stay in for New Year's like I'm going to do Same and, and watch those games. Yeah, I think it's fun. I think, like you said, the first year, a success definitely. I think they can build on it. I mean, I still hear a lot of talk of an eight-team playoff or, you know, where you get a little bit more representation of some of these teams that go undefeated throughout the year or whatever. But uh, definitely an improvement from the BCS for sure and, uh, and fun to watch. Uh, again, a lot of hype, a lot of build-up, but, uh, you know, it's a lot of fun. And, of course, it was fun because – I'm an Oregon fan because I live here, so that was fun seeing the Ducks in, and uh, exciting stuff to watch. So I, I mean, college football is always great; it's always exciting. So I'm looking forward to the the top four this year. Our fifth biggest story of 2015, Greg, something that hadn't happened in 37 years. We were close before, but we never had it in the past 37 years until this year. American Pharaoh wins the Triple Crown. First time in 37 years that it happened in horse racing, and American Pharaoh did it in dominating fashion. American Pharaoh won $8.6 million in prize money, but get this, Griggs. There are reports that with stud fees, the horse could be worth upwards of $100 million. Check this out. Every time that uh, American Pharaoh does his studliness business, (laughs) they're saying it could be $150,000. $150,000. So <laughs> that's a rough life. But uh, for the owners, my gosh, wow. that's where the real money could come in. Because if you think about it, $8.6 million, like it's a lot of money. Yeah. But the real money comes after mm-hmm. the horse retires and they retire the horse to stud. And, you know, now the horse could make tens of millions of dollars for the owners. So uh, just a great story. And really, you know, horse racing is something that has certainly. Uh, fallen by the wayside. It's not nearly as recognized as it was in the 60s and 70s in America. But I think for a few months, American Pharaoh captured the imagination of sports fans everywhere. And people got legitimately excited when American Pharaoh won the Triple Crown. Well, yeah. I mean, it's like you said, 37 years. I mean, a lot of people have never seen it the last time it happened. And, uh, and you know, I'm not a big horse racing fan, but as, you know, they win the first one, the second one, the hype builds up, and everybody's watching that last one because you're hoping it's going to happen. And then it did, so it was pretty exciting to be a part of it and see it happen, and uh, it's fun stuff and a lot of money. And here's the call of American Pharaoh bringing home the Triple Crown. American Pharaoh's got a two-length lead. Frosted is all out at the 16th pole. And here it is. The 37-year wait is over. American Pharaoh is finally the one. American Pharaoh has won the Triple Crown. All right, we're back with our fourth biggest story of 2015. Griggs, the NFL to Los Angeles. It hasn't happened yet. (laughs) It's been talked about for years. Yeah. 
it's amazing to me. I went to college in Los Angeles. I went to Loyola Marymount, and I used to go to Rams and Raiders games. But the NFL hasn't been in the nation's second biggest market in years. So you would think, gosh, if any league is going to survive for the long term, you've got to be in the nation's second biggest market. But the NFL has proven they really don't need L.A., but I think they want to be back in L.A. And we could talk for a whole show about what the the stakes are here, but it basically comes down to two sites. There's a site near Inglewood, used to be where uh, Hollywood Park Racetrack was, that's owned by Stan Kroenke. Stan Kroenke is the owner of the St. Louis Rams. The other site is in Carson, California, and it's a proposed joint site between the Chargers and the Raiders. Now, the NFL says only two of those three teams are going to be able to relocate to L.A. potentially. Not all three. So all three of them want to be in L.A. <laughs> they want to have the big shiny venue. They want to have the biggest market with more money. L.A. is bigger than Oakland. L.A. is bigger than San Diego. The league does want to you know, maintain some history. I think ideally they'd love to see those teams stay in the markets. I think the one that's absolutely going to move is the Rams from St. Louis. So that's number one. If you're asking me, someone who's lived in Los Angeles for five years, which is the better site? I don't even think it's close. I think Inglewood and the Hollywood Park site is so much better than the Carson site. If you're looking proximity, it's closer to LAX. Mm Mm-hmm. It's closer to the ocean. It's closer to the freeways. Uh, it's a bigger footprint. I think Stan Kroenke knows how to do things the right way. I think that site would be better for the NFL in L.A. than Carson, which is really on the outskirts. It's more of an industrial area. It's going to be a longer drive for people to get to. Um, you know, I'm sure they can build businesses and hotels around it, but... If you were asking me right now which site I think would be preferred, I'd say it would be the Inglewood site. The owners got together recently in Dallas. They discussed all of this, and we're going to see how this shakes out. There are some reports that we could see those two teams in L.A. in 2016. There's other reports that say, as we've heard for the last few years, well, we got to postpone it for another year. So we'll see. But like I said, L.A. is the second biggest media market in the country. And the NFL is the biggest league in the United States. If you put one or two teams in Los Angeles, that is a big, big story. You've got rebranding. You've got tons of money. You've got stadiums. I mean, all kinds of storylines related to a team relocating to Los Angeles. Like I said, the Chargers, the Rams, the Raiders, they all want to be there. Who's going to get there? That's what's going to be interesting to watch in 2016. When we come back, we're going to reveal our top three sports business stories of the year 2015. Happy holidays. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Have a holly jolly Christmas. Hi, it's Brian Berger. Here at Sports Business Radio, we are proud to work with our partners, Pastano. They make a sports-proven visual marketing platform that I've personally been amazed to see. Teams like the Dallas Cowboys, Boston Red Sox, LA Kings, and Cleveland Cavaliers all use Pastano to engage their fans. When sports teams and fans tell their stories together, amazing things can happen. Every fan has a story. Whether you want to put selfies on the Jumbotron, 
create a dynamic social media command center, or activate a hashtag campaign on your website. Fastano can design an amazing social experience true to your brand. Even better, using the Pistano platform can pay for itself through selling sponsorships. As an example, the Kings sell sponsor space to Toyota and other clients and run the ads using Pistano. Want to see what your team's social content could look like? Schedule a demo today. Go to Pistano.com slash sports. If you're a fan of this podcast, you understand the real power of engaging your fans. And these guys get it. That is P-O-S-T-A-N-O dot com. This is Sports Business Radio. We are back and we have been counting down our top 10 sports business stories of 2015 according to our staff here at Sports Business Radio and some input by you, the listener, via Twitter, Facebook, some of our other platforms. Story number three, Sepp Blatter and FIFA. Griggs, what a circus this year. So, Seth Blatter resigns. Well, first of all, he wins the election. Then he resigns. Then he says, I didn't resign. Now he's suspended. So, FIFA, as we just told you earlier in the show, World Cup is a big deal. I mean, really, along with the Olympics, and some people would even argue it's become bigger than the Olympics, World Cup is as big of a global event as we have in the world, sports-wise. And Seth Blatter and FIFA are at the top of this chain, and they're the ones overseeing this event, and it couldn't be a bigger mess. So seeing what becomes of FIFA in 2016 and what becomes of Sepp Blatter in 2016 is going to be interesting. You've got corruption. You've got people being bribed. You've got you know what a lot of people have long suspected is people being paid under the table to secure World Cup sites in the future like Qatar, and, you know, it's going to be really interesting, again, because it's a huge governing body, FIFA. You've got just tens of billions of dollars associated with this, with sites and with the games themselves, with sponsorships, and the people who are leading this organization are a train wreck. It's an active soap opera, basically. <laughs> I mean, it's like you're waiting for the next story to come out. And like you said, the thing that's crazy about it is it's, it's global. It's not just uh, United States or whatever, some country. Right. This is like the whole world. Everybody's watching this and everybody's you know, somewhat involved with it, whether it's their fan or, or you know, anything, part of the team or whatever. And that's just what's crazy about it. The corruption is, is so massive in it. Well, and you just said the key word, corruption. I think when people think of FIFA right now, they think of corruption. When they think of World Cup, they think of an exciting global event. But when they think of FIFA, the organization who puts on the World Cup, they go, oh, a lot of corruption there, <laughs> right. not a lot of trust. That has to change. If World Cup is going to continue to grow at the pace that it's growing, FIFA needs new leadership. And that needs to happen, I think, in 2016. You know, I don't know how Blatt got reelected or uh, Blatter got reelected again, um, other than corrupt people electing him. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's kind of like you scratch my back, I'll scratch right. yours. And. That's what I think is going on there. So maybe they just need a house cleaning in general, get some people in there who are trustworthy, who have a vision for the future, and who can lead the organization so it becomes, uh, you know, people have more faith in it going forward. Our second biggest sports business story of the year 2015, this was a huge one. We talked about it 
on our show. We had the CEO of FanDuel, Nigel Eccles, on our show earlier in the year. Daily Fantasy. Griggs, it started off where you kind of start the year and you're like, okay, Daily Fantasy, I can kind of hear about it every once in a while. And, you know, it seems like it's growing. And it's a nice option if you don't want to play season-long fantasy. Daily Fantasy is kind of cool. Then football season came. (laughs) And every other commercial was <laughs> FanDuel and DraftKings. Yep. And you're like, holy cow, how much money do these companies have? Then we bring Nigel Eccles on the show, and you know he's talking about how they're a multi-billion dollar company. But Crazy. they're still not making a profit. And then, all of a sudden, the lawmakers start paying attention to this. <laughs> and it becomes, hmm... There's a lot of money here. <laughs> Who's getting this money? Right. And is this gambling or is this a game of skill? So the daily fantasy companies would argue this is a game of skill. There's algorithms. There's analytics. This is a game of skill. It's not gambling. But by most people's definition, gambling is if you put money down on a result, that's gambling. Yeah. If you go to Vegas, you put money down at cards or craps or a game, and you can lose that money, that's the definition of gambling. This is the same thing. Yeah. So you're putting money into an account. If you win, you win money. If you lose, you lose money. <laughs> that's gambling. There may be some skill and knowledge that's involved, but at the core, it's gambling. So the big blow came when the state of New York said, hey, we're banning Daily Fantasy from our state. And, you know, there have been all kinds of appeals and uh, lots has happened. But at the end of the day, you know, I I think it's going to be interesting to see, do these daily fantasy companies survive into 2016? The other part of this story, Griggs, that's really interesting is you've got, you know, the NBA, you've got Major League Baseball, you've got owners like Jerry Jones who are invested in this. This isn't like happening in the shadows with you know some pit bosses in Las Vegas owning these companies. There are some huge companies that are aligned with FanDuel and with DraftKings, and the teams and the leagues love these companies because they've been sitting there with the catcher's mitt going, hey, I'm going to catch all this money coming through. ESPN and all the other companies out there, they love it because these companies are sponsors of their shows. Mm-hmm. And there's been a windfall of money. What I think is going to be interesting for 2016 is if these companies go away, what happens to those companies and those investors who put their money behind FanDuel and DraftKings? So, huge story. The people who will really be the winners at the end of the day on this are the lawyers. Yeah, of course. Um, in New York and in all the different states that are fighting this, and obviously the FanDuel and DraftKings uh, lawyers, but I don't know. I, 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 if I had to bet on this, I would say that we're looking at the final chapter of FanDuel and DraftKings, at least in the United States. They may be able to go to Asia, mm-hmm. to Mexico, to Europe, and do some business over there, but it won't have the same impact that they have here in the United States. And, you know, tons of people, by the way, were playing these games. Because it was basically like, hey, I don't have to go to Vegas anymore. I can play fantasy sports and I can win money. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm all in on that. 
So we'll watch that story in 2016, but that's our second biggest story of 2015. Our number one story, Griggs, Deflategate. Tom Brady beats the NFL. The four-game suspension that was levied against him was dropped by a judge. And a lot of people went into this, oh, the Patriots cheated, Tom Brady cheated. You know what? Maybe they did. I don't know that they did or they didn't, but the process played out, and a judge ruled, and Tom Brady came out victorious, and I think he not only kind of re-energized himself, but he re-energized a lot of the players in the NFL, the players' union. The players were very supportive of Tom Brady standing up for himself and beating the NFL on this. And in the meantime, it was another black eye against the NFL. People are talking more about deflated footballs and PSI levels and stuff (laughs) like that than they are about what's going on on the field. But here's Tom Brady at a press conference when Deflategate initially came about. You know, I didn't alter the ball in any way. I have a process that I go through uh, before every game where I go in and I pick the balls that, uh, the footballs that I want to use for the game. So there you hear Tom Brady. And again, you know, Tom Brady, I think, is on a mission this year. You can Mm -hmm. just tell he's playing with a fire in his eyes. Robert Kraft, his owner, defended him, came out with strong words against Roger Goodell, who, by the way, has a close relationship with, was very supportive of. I think that relationship was fractured after what happened here. Um, The NFL has filed an appeal. We'll see how that goes. But the reason this is the number one story is because, A, the NFL is the biggest league in U.S. sports. B, Tom Brady is pretty much the face of the NFL. I mean, there's a few other players, but there's no one bigger than Tom Brady in the NFL. And imagine, Griggs, we talked about this earlier in there. Imagine if like Adam Silver went after LeBron James or Kevin Durant or uh, Rob Manfred went after Mike Trout or Bryce Harper. We had never seen anything like this before where Roger Goodell in the NFL went after Tom Brady, tried to discredit him, tried to take him down, basically. Yeah. And Brady and his lawyer stood their ground went through the process, and at the end of the day, they won. So he missed no time on the field. I don't think he'll ever miss any time on the field. From everyone I've talked to, the NFL has a a slim chance of any of Mm -hmm. winning an appeal. So, uh, you know, Deflategate, that's our number one story of 2015. Like I said at the beginning of the show, have there been bigger number one stories in the past few years? Absolutely. But that got a lot of talk, and for a number of months... And it put a spotlight on the NFL that the NFL didn't want. It put a spotlight on Tom Brady that he didn't want and on the Patriots organization. But at the end of the day, the Patriots have had a pretty good year. Tom Brady's had an amazing year, an MVP caliber year. And I think it was a huge win for the players' union that Tom Brady took down the NFL. When we come back, we are going to give you some thoughts on 2016. What should we expect? What are we looking forward to? You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Is frightful, but the fire is so delightful. And since we've no place to go, let it snow. Let-
Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is David Stern. He's the commissioner of the NBA. It is always a pleasure, Brian. Bill Hancock, he's the executive director of the Bull Championship Series. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Mark, thanks for joining me. My pleasure. My guest is Mickey Loomis. He's the executive vice president and general manager of the world champion New Orleans Saints. Pleasure to be with you guys. Mr. Allen, thanks for joining me. Thank you. My guest is Mark Emmert. He's the president of the NCAA. Oh, happy to join you. My pleasure. My guest is Eric Spolstra. He's the head coach of the Miami Heat. Brian, appreciate it. Glad to, glad to be on the show. Mr. Nicholas, it's an honor to have you on Sports Business Radio. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Brian. Visit sportsbusinessradio.com and subscribe to our free iTunes podcast. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and stay connected to the business side of sports only with Sports Business Radio. The website is sportsbusinessradio.com. We are back and we invite you to stick around for our next segment with Doug Lauder, who is the vice president of business development for Boingo Wireless. They're doing some really interesting things in the venue space, especially sports venue spaces. And as I said earlier in the show, how many of us are frustrated because we go to stadiums or arenas or ballparks and we can't get our Wi-Fi connection? We can't engage on social media. Boingo Wireless is doing an amazing job outfitting not only sports venues, but other venues with wireless. So we'll dig in to that topic. A little bit of a bonus interview for you this week with Doug Lauder from Boingo Wireless. But, Griggs, we just revealed our top 10 sports business stories of 2015. What are some things that you're looking forward to in 2016? Do you have any predictions for 2016? Uh, I got three things for you. Uh, The college football playoff, which is coming up. That'll be fun. It's always fun to watch. And I like the addition of some like a Clemson and Michigan State where it's not a normal, necessarily team you're going to see yep. on the big stage. So that'll be fun. Who, who, who are you taking? You uh, I got Michigan that. State and let's see. So would it be Michigan State plays Alabama. So I'm going to go Clemson, Michigan State. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So that's my thing on that. Now, uh, Super Bowl will be number two. Okay. Who I've got. And this is 50. This is a big a one. Big one. Yeah. And it'll be fun to see. Um, I'm going to go with Patriots and uh, Carolina. Okay, and Carolina's going to win it because Cam and Newton is on fire. He's pretty good. Their defense, but is Tom Brady is on fire too. So that I think that's going to be our Super Bowl. And uh-huh. then the last thing I'm looking forward to is Olympic Games coming, which we've talked about before. Yeah, in and Rio. we'll have a lot more talk. In yeah, 2016. so that'll that'll be fun. I always like the Olympics. So those are my three. So I think uh, Michigan State and Oklahoma nice make the college football championship game. And I'll tell you, I probably have to go Oklahoma. Yeah, they're 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 clicking. they're playing really well right yeah. now. I look at quarterbacks mm-hmm. in these things, and Alabama's got a great defense, but I have no faith in their quarterback no. at all. No, so you know I think Michigan State takes them out, and then Clemson is new to this stage. Yeah, and Oklahoma has played really well. So again, Oklahoma and Michigan State. I'm taking Oklahoma uh, Super Bowl. I'm going to go Patriots. I think they get there. Yeah. And, you know, now that you've got Andy Dalton hurt and right. Peyton Manning's not playing well, some of the teams that were right behind them have right. fallen on hard times. So I think their path is a little easier than it was maybe a month ago. You know, I'm going to go with the rematch. I think the Seahawks get back nice. there. This is crazy. I love it. But the Seahawks are playing really good football right now. Yep. Pete Carroll seems to find a way for his teams, whether it was at USC or the Seahawks, to peak yep. at the right time of the year. Russell Wilson, 
Oh my gosh, as we tape this, crazy. 16 touchdowns, no interceptions in his last four games. I mean, that's ridiculous. Yeah. It's one of the greatest four-game stretches the quarterbacks had in NFL history. Yeah. Uh, their defense with Cam Chancellor back is now starting to hit its stride. I just think the Seahawks, they don't care where they're playing. They'll have no problem going into Carolina <laughs> and, and beating Carolina. I love it. And I think they can put pressure on Cam Newton that he hasn't seen this year. So... I'm going to go Seahawks-Patriots. I was at that Super Bowl earlier this year in Arizona, and boy, that was one of the best Super Bowls that you'll see. And a rematch of those two teams that came down to the last play of the game would be pretty cool to watch. So um, other things, you know, as we said on our show, FIFA and how that organization shapes out what happens to Sepp Blatter is going to be something very interesting to watch. What happens with daily fantasy? Does it go away? Mm-hmm. Does it look like something else? Does it, you know, go to Europe and Mexico and Asia? Like, how does that all unfold? It's going to have a ripple effect on the sports industry. Um, the Olympics, like you said, is going to be interesting. You know, something else that's that's a trend. Our friend John Aurend at the uh, Sports Business Journal wrote about is the cord cutting going on with cable right now. Yeah. And ESPN is losing millions of subscribers. How does that continue? I think, and remember I said this, keep this all handy, everyone, <laughs> for our 2015 show. You know, we saw Yahoo Sports and the NFL get together on a streaming-only broadcast from London, and it looked great. Yep. There was no buffering. There was no technical problems. It was, you know, across the pond, and it looked fantastic. I think live streaming, and I've been tweeting about this, is going to become more and more popular. The NBA does a great job with offering live streaming either per game, per team, or for the entire league. I think you're going to see leagues like the NFL start to go to that, and other leagues will go to that as well. So if you think about it, Griggs, millennials are consuming on their mobile devices and on their tablets. You've got to reach them where they are. And it's not the TV. They can connect their TV. I have Apple TV now. You can connect your right. your phone or your tablet to your TV. And I think that is going to be the future. Live streaming is going to be mm-hmm. one of the biggest things that teams and leagues and brands bet on going forward. And that's going to be fun to watch. Well, how crazy is it that you can walk around and watch these games and now the phones and iPads are high def I mean yeah. they look just like you're sitting in right. at the stadium I mean yeah. it's crazy so it's like you can just be you know on the train wherever you're watching and, and have have access to it it's crazy I mean why wouldn't you go to streaming yeah so so uh, another thing I'll keep my eye on is not that this is an endorsement I haven't seen it yet because it's not out but the concussion movie is coming out with right. Will Smith there's obviously lots of talks around the safety issues in football I think this will raise the level of those conversations, and at the very least, even if there's no change with the NFL and with policies and helmets and safety issues, you know what it's going to do, Griggs? It's going to make every mom sit back and go, you know what? Yep. Now that I've seen this movie, now that I've seen the risks and I really understand them, I'm not letting my son play football. That is the long-term effect of this type of a movie and this type of media exposure. It's got a huge star in Will Smith involved. Um, Alec Baldwin is in the movie. So I'll definitely be going to see that. But I think that's going to be something that we'll want to keep an eye on as well. All right, a lot of thank yous on our show. Thank you to Brian Griggs, obviously. Griggs, another fun year with you. Thank you for everything. Oh yeah, Josh Blank, Doug Zanger. 
Thanks to our friends at Pistano for powering Sports Business Radio. Follow them online at pistano.com or on Twitter at Pistano. A podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand via podcast. Just go to iTunes, type in Sports Business Radio. We're rated in the top 100 business news podcasts. You can also find our show on TuneIn Radio and Stitcher, and we're on Audioboom. We have our own channel, so go to audioboom.com and look for Sports Business Radio. You can follow me on Twitter at SB Radio. Our Twitter feed was named uh, the top 100 sports business must-follows by Forbes for 2014. So we hope to be on that list again for 2015. And as I said earlier, stay tuned next for a bonus interview with the Vice President of Business Development for Boingo Wireless, Doug Lauder. want you to have a happy holiday season, a happy new year, and here's a special greeting from my little sweet girl. Sophia Berger, happy holidays and Merry Christmas. Hello, my name is Sophia Berger. I want to tell you about the Pixie Project. The Pixie Project matches pets to the right people. The Pixie Project takes pride in finding matches for both people and animals. The Pixie Project also offers low-cost veterinary assistance. My family worked with the Pixie Project to adopt our lovable puppy, Scotty. He's a great addition to our family. So if you get a dog or cat, kitten or puppy, you should go to the Pixie Project. To learn more about the Pixie Project, visit them at www.pixieproject.org. This is Sports Business Radio. I'm joined by Doug Lauder. He is the Vice President of Business Development for Boingo Wireless. As you may recall, Boingo Wireless was our sponsor of our most recent Sports Business Radio Roadshow at USC with Los Angeles Lakers owner Jeannie Buss. Doug, thanks for joining us on Sports Business Radio, and thanks again so much for your support of our Roadshow at USC with Jeannie Buss. Absolutely, Brian. Thanks for having us. Yeah, that was fun meeting her there. I don't know if you had met Jeannie before, but I know we had some time in the green room before uh, we took the stage, and uh, I was just so impressed with how down-to-earth she was. Yeah, you know, we talked about it afterwards. I think one of the more surprising things to me, especially being here in L.A., is you know, whenever you see someone who's a public figure around town, they're generally with five or seven other people, right. handlers and entourage, and she just kind of walked in there all by herself and you know, had a great conversation with us about the Lakers and the NFL and Kobe's retirement, and it was, it, it was a great time. Yeah, that was a fun night. Thanks again for uh, joining us that evening. So let's start off by talking a little bit about Boingo Wireless and your connection to the sports business. Tell our audience about that. Sure. So, uh, you know, Boingo has been around for quite some time. I think we've been around for about 15 years. Uh, our vision from the beginning was to help people get connected. Uh, I'm sure you can remember a time when, when getting online was not as easy as it is today. And uh, fast forward through all those years, and we've uh, built a lot of wireless networks, and we helped a lot of people get connected at hotels and airports and coffee shops all over the world. And, you know, as sports fans here at Boingo, I mean, I, I grew up in the Bay Area in the 80s and 90s, followed the 49ers who couldn't lose back then, and the A's and the Bash brothers, and the Giants were great back then. And, you know, there's a lot of people like me here in the office who are sports fans, and we noticed pretty early on that the experience inside stadiums was not fantastic in terms of getting connected. And so the natural connection was made here at Boingo, and I think we built our first stadium wireless network in 2008 or 2007 at Soldier Field when we partnered with SMG and Soldier Field. And since then, we've you know had a lot of new customers coming our way. And 
you know, we've seen it evolve a lot, and uh, you know, the networks continue to get more dense and uh, built for the future. And you know, we're really starting to see a lot more uh, uh, schools and teams and venues start to look to wireless as a way to engage their customers better. What do fans want to do with their connections at the game other than, you know, I know there's a lot of people who engage on social media. What else are people doing when they go to Wi-Fi connections at venues? Yeah, that's a great question. And you know, I sat on a panel a few weeks back called Solving the Couch Conundrum. It's how do you get people how do you get people off the couch and get them into the venue? And, you know, getting them in there is one thing. Getting them connected is the second piece. And really the final piece is engagement. You know, how do you engage with the fans? And, you know, if you think about what they're doing when they're not coming, they're, they're at home, they're watching the game on TV, there's a convenience factor at home. They have a TV at their fingertips with a pause button. They have a refrigerator that they can get to quite easily, and they have a bathroom that doesn't have a line. And when they're in the stadium, uh, the engagement really has to be uh, you know, kind of a supplement to that. You know, how, do you, how do you engage with them, give them some of the convenience of home, but without taking away the game day experience that they came for? So the marriage of the two worlds of the convenience at home and the game day experience, the smells, the sounds, the cheering. And through that, you, know, you think about um, you know, getting people through the venue easier, getting them to a bathroom without a line, getting them, you know, not just social media and all the things that you would think of, but also the, the real benefits of helping them enjoy the day a bit better. And I think that's what we're seeing some of the more advanced teams do. What are the challenges that sports teams and stadium operators face with delivering uh, flawless Wi-Fi experience, wireless experience to fans? Sure. So I, I, that's a good question. I, I think I think of it two ways. I think the first challenge I would say is technical. Uh, most stadiums and arenas are very complicated. Uh, the old ones have their challenges in terms of infrastructure. The new ones have their challenges in terms of everything the venue is trying to accomplish and limitations you have with aesthetics and things like that. So building the network itself is really, really difficult. Uh, getting uh, antennas so that you can see all the users and that some of those antennas go up high, some of them go up low, you know, getting down to all the way down to the front seat, all the way up to the high seat, uh, getting into the suites, getting every inch of the stadium covered so that wherever the person may go, whatever nook and cranny they crawl into, they have a great user experience. I think that's one, the technical aspect of it. And then, you know, and then separately building that network to be future-proof. So as as you know, new sections are added or, or seats are reconfigured, you have the ability to adapt the network to those needs. Uh, the second thing I would say is commitment from leadership. Uh, you know, we, we do some work at Kansas State. Uh, Kansas, Kansas State has, you know, their, their theme around the uh, athletic department is the best game day experience in the Big 12. And that's something that the president of the school, the athletic director, all the way down, have made a commitment to. And that commitment drives all the decisions that the folks are making. It drove their decision to build a really great wireless network. It's driving their decision to make enhancements to the mobile application. It's really what's driving a lot of their behavior, and that commitment is really what's needed if you want to solve the problem. So, again, when you go in, when someone says, hey, come help us provide a flawless wireless experience for our customers, people coming to our sporting events, what does that look like from your end, from the Boingo end? 
how long does it take you to put together a comprehensive network that you know has all those coverage spots? Walk us through that process. Sure. So I can actually walk you through an actual example. So uh, before last football season, uh, not 2015, but 2014, uh, we were approached by Soldier Field, uh, several wireless carriers. Uh, it, was, it was May. And the challenge was we know we need to upgrade the network at Soldier Field and we need to do it before football season starts. Hmm. And we had about 90 days to do it. And there's wow. a complicated network. There's, there's cellular components of the network. There's Wi-Fi components of the network. And luckily, we have a team on the ground there in Chicago, uh, and we've done a lot of work in the stadium, so we knew the environment. Uh, but we were able to get the network completely upgraded, rip the old network out, the new, up, the new network done. We had to take scaffolding up on Sunday nights after the preseason games, take it all down before the next preseason game, build it back up before the next preseason game. Uh, and we did get the network launched before the first regular season home game. Uh, so schedules are uh, as as aggressive as the as the stadium or arena is willing to allow it. Uh, if 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 they're committed to the project and we have access, uh, time is t- t- typically not much of a factor. We can move pretty quickly. And then obviously something like this is not inexpensive. So you know how does this get paid for? Is it something that teams pass along to the fans? Do they say, "Well, we've got to build up a budget and put this into our budget"? Like, what's the best way that that gets handled? Yeah. So uh, you know, I would say, <laughs> you know, can 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 teams afford not to do this? Right. Uh, right. I mean, if you. If you think about uh, a college freshman coming into, say, Kansas State this year, uh, 2016, because that's you know two weeks away, uh, they'll be 18 in 2016, which means when the iPhone came out, they were eight or nine years old. <laughs> they've likely had they've likely had high speed internet access in their house since they were born. They've likely had um, Wi-Fi in their house since they were in kindergarten ish. I mean, these kids, it is an expectation that there's great connectivity, and they are the fans of the future. They're the fans of today, and they're the fans of the future. And so getting them connected is paramount. And so when it comes to the investment, yes, it's expensive, and, and, and yes, it's, it's, it's going to cost money, uh, but it's akin to providing a toilet or providing electricity. You just have to do it because it's expected. Now, once it's in place, there are certainly ways that you could – take advantage of the network to drive incremental revenue or opportunity for the team. And those come kind of in two ways. Uh, The first is through uh, media and sponsorships, uh, which is big in the sports space. Uh, Sports teams have gotten really, really good at monetizing their stadiums. They sell just about every piece of real estate inside the stadium from the outfield wall to the 50-yard line. Whatever Whatever a sponsor is willing to buy, most teams are willing to sell within reason. And that's great, but most eyeballs are not looking at that real estate. Most eyeballs are looking at their phones and their tablets. And so the digital piece of that is, well, let's, let's couple it all together. Let's sell you the 50-yard line. Let's sell you the outfield wall. Let's also sell you the digital rights to the landing page and the experience. And you now are our digital sponsor. And I think that's a new frontier that a lot of teams are starting to explore and discover. Uh, we've run several campaigns with our media platform. Uh, perhaps if you traveled through one of our airports, you've you know, had to watch a little video clip to get online. Uh, and that's the idea: is is trying to get people, you know, give them, uh, give the sponsor the 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 ability to connect with a fan before they get online, and then you know, control the experience while they're online. Uh, and that's one way. The other way I'd say is operationally. 
uh, with the information you can glean from having greater technology, uh, you can get to know your customers a lot better and you can make smarter decisions. And while you may not see that on the, on the you know, be able to point a finger at where that's coming into the bottom line, you can make decisions that are more real time and, and, and are more driven by data and less with you know, speculation. Just a few minutes left with Doug Lauder. He is the Vice President of Business Development for Boingo Wireless. So we spoke a few weeks ago with Jeannie Buss at our Sports Business Radio Roadshow presented by Boingo Wireless about some of the applications and data and analytics that are being used in the sports industry. What do you see for the future of sports analytics for sports teams, leagues, and venues? Sure. Uh, you know, the... The digital landscape has created an environment where now if you want to get to know your customers, you no longer have to have them fill out a survey or walk around the building and ask questions and shake hands and kiss babies. Uh, you can get to know people much more rapidly and with a much larger data set based on their behaviors, leveraging technology. And what we're seeing is taking data, not only from the network, which we provide, data from the mobile application, data from you know, ticketing and sales databases, concessions databases, and the marriage of all that data into a package of analytics that allows the teams to really get smarter about the way they operate, about the way they price tickets, about the way they sell concessions, when they sell, when they don't sell, where to put more concessions, where to take fewer concessions away. Uh, you know, when to, you know, target certain people for season tickets. You know, you've seen through the digital ticket experience that they've been to a few games. You want to see if you can get them to become a season ticket holder. Maybe you give them a nice offer to do so while they're in the venue, enjoying the game, and have had a few beers. Uh, so I think analytics and data is really becoming a critical part of the way teams uh, and, and, and venues operate. So with the year coming to an end, and we just looked back at the year's biggest sports business stories. Everyone loves to speculate on what lies ahead. What do you think the connected stadium will look like in the next few years? We just talked about it a little bit during this conversation, but if you're looking into your crystal ball and you go, all right, here's some new bells and whistles or things that might exist to attract fans to venues, and here's how Boingo Wireless may be a part of that, what do you see in the crystal ball? Sure. So I'll... I'll change it up a little bit. Instead of the connected stadium, I'll take you through the connected fan experience because really it isn't just the experience at the stadium. It starts in the morning when you wake up, and I really believe that, that every team is going to have that connection with you on game day where the first thing you do in the morning when you're headed to the game is you check into the app and you look at traffic and weather and where should I park, and the app is just kind of guiding you the entire way. And from there, you get in the car, it shows you where to park, it gives you good directions to the stadium. Once you get to the stadium, you know, it's, t it's giving you directions using beacons and talking to you about, you know, uh, 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 where, where you should go, which gate has the shortest line, gives you directions to your seat, knows that you've arrived. Once you get to your seat, someone instantly arrives with a beer and a hot dog because they know that you're there because <laughs> uh, your ticket told them. And suddenly you see a guy walking up the steps and he's wearing a, you know, a jacket of the team that you like and a hat and gloves. And you think, oh, I love that guy's jacket. You snap a picture of it. The app tells you exactly what the jacket is, how much it costs. You push one button and it shows up gift wrap for you because it was a gift for your son. 
And, you know, that's, that's really what's happening is how can we create this, this experience that's so unique and using technology, not just the app, but the network and connecting it all together and, 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 and giving, you know, the fan that experience that's just so driven by what they want and what they need. You know, in, in, in past, if you wanted to have a different experience at a stadium, you had to pay for it. You had to pay for a better seat, pay for a better experience. And I think the way technology is going is we're going to be able to create customized experiences for fans without them having to pay more for it. Uh, and, you know, going home, traffic, fastest way out of here, get me out of here now, when should I leave, what bars are hot that are near the stadium, all that will be at their fingertips. And when they get home that evening, a nice thank you from the team and an offer to sell tickets or more concessions and, you know, bring them back for the next home game. Now, it's all fascinating stuff, and I can't wait to see where it goes, and I think you just gave us a good glimpse into the future, and I totally agree with you when you say that having wireless at your venue is the same as having toilets at your venue. I mean, it's a must. And one of the biggest frustrations I've had, and I know my friends have had, and special, especially fellow media members, when you go to the press box or just when you're sitting in your seat and you can't connect, and it's a frustrating process. So I know you guys are so good at getting people connected. And, you know, we have a lot of people in the sports business industry that listen to this show. If someone wanted to contact you or someone on your team about having Boingo Wireless come in and provide wireless at their venue, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you? So, sure. So, you can always find us at boingo.com. And no surprise to anyone, we are also on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, just about every form of social media that you can figure out and get to. Uh, if you want to get in touch with me directly, it's my first initial D, then my last name, Lauder, L-O-D-D-E-R, at boingo.com, or newbiz at boingo.com. And we're always available to uh, talk, answer questions. And to your point, um, it is a need, it is a necessity. And uh, just so you know, we, we do in some of our customer in some of our customer venues provide a differentiated, faster service for the media. So when the press is in the press box, they actually get a better experience than some other people because the teams know how important it is and how big of a voice the media members have uh, when they're when they're writing stories and tweeting. So uh, there's actually a lot of drive to make your experience even better as well. I can make a list of press boxes for you if you like that. I think need to be to be upgraded. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, look, first of all, thank you again so much for being the sponsor of our road show at USC with Jeannie Bus. That was fantastic. I hope that we get to work together on some of our road shows in 2016. And happy holidays to you. Uh, I know that you're headed to your, your holiday party. I hope it's a, a fun evening for you, and you've got a great team there at Boingo Wireless. So uh, best of luck and, and happy holidays for 2015, and we'll look forward to seeing you again in 2016. Thanks, Brian. Always happy to support your show and happy to f- support USC. Fight on. All right, that's Doug Lauder. He's the Vice President of Business Development for Boingo Wireless. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Hi, it's Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio, but also the founder and CEO of the exclusive Sports PR Summit. The Sports PR Summit is an annual event bringing together senior PR executives from the sports world, national media members, and pro athletes for a full day of panel discussion, featured conversations, and face-to-face networking in New York City. Past speakers have included ESPN reporter Jeremy Schapp, Sports Illustrated executive editor John Wartime, former NFL veterans Tiki Barber and Derek Mason, 
NBA Senior VP of PR Mike Bass, and other top PR minds from across the sports world. The 2016 Sports PR Summit will take place on Tuesday, May 17th at the Players' Tribune, which is a new digital media platform created and curated by some of the world's top athletes and founded by former Yankees great Derek Jeter. The Sports PR Summit is an invite-only event limited to 125 attendees. If you're a senior sports PR executive and you'd like to be invited to the 2016 Sports PR Summit at the Players' Tribune in New York City, Get in touch with us via the Sports PR Summit website at sportsprsummit.com. That's sportsprsummit.com. Follow the Sports PR Summit on Twitter and Instagram at Sports PR Summit and on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Sports PR Summit. I hope to see you at the 2016 Sports PR Summit on May 17th at the Players' Tribune in New York City.